and welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on this uh, fine day, on this program. I hope it's a fine day for you as we are bringing you New Paradigms for a New World. Choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true, and uh, we'll give you the preliminaries a little bit later. I want to jump right into our program today. I think it's extremely important uh, that we do that because... um, it's just uh, something that is facing all of us, yours truly. I'm not saying that I am dealing with it, but it's something that I have the po- that that has the potential of affecting my life. We're going to talk about um, a book entitled "To the Enclave." A Journey to a New Mode of Dementia Care. My guest is Larry Carlson, and I want to thank you, Larry, for joining us here on the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it, Richard. This is a program, I think, that um, is very interesting from a couple of uh, 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 angles. Uh, Number one, of course, we record these programs. They're recorded on a computer, and the computer has memory. And there are going to be times down the road when a computer gets to a certain point when the memory isn't working anymore. Uh, and so you got to put in new memory. Well, there are situations where we as human beings, our memory isn't working anymore. But we can't just pull the old uh, cards and put in new ones. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about, and actually this is sort of a uh, two-edged sword, can I say? Uh, dementia as well, and Alzheimer's. What's the difference? So there are many kinds of uh, dementias. Um, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's dementia, and there's Alzheimer's dementia. In the United States, probably 70% of dementias are Alzheimer's. So that's sort of what is typically referred to, even though um, there may be other people who have a different kind of dementia. Now, uh, you happen to be the CEO of United Methodist Community, UMC. It's one of America's largest nonprofit operators of uh, nursing homes and uh, senior living communities. Now, I can tell you right now that my parents, for example, uh, who are still very cognitively here, all right? I just visited them back at Christmas. My dad isn't a real happy camper because he's 90 and his body is not... uh, it's not doing what he wants it to do. That's his physical body. You know, he has trouble with his stability, but he walks, still walks around. Uh, but he's also very prideful, does not want to use a cane, a walker, or anything to support himself. Although when he's in the kitchen, he will use the counters, the stove, and so on and so forth to support him. It's not like or, he's... Or a shopping cart at the grocery store. Or a shopping cart if he goes. I don't think he goes. Matter of fact, uh, we wanted him to come with us uh, to my sister's uh, for the gathering at Christmas. And he's just, I, I, I can't do that. I just, I don't have the energy and so on and so forth. And... Um, uh, and yet he could have sat and just enjoyed his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. Uh, but that, you know, again, that's his choice. But he's still, he's sharp as a tack uh, and, and as feisty as ever, uh, but still very loving. And um, my mom, she's, I mean, she's running around doing all kinds of stuff. And I even asked her at one point, I said, how are you doing? You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, how, how are you? She said, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. But when you start talking about dealing with people who have Alzheimer's or dementia, and again, all of the different variations thereof, you're starting to talk about caregivers. Now, I was a caregiver for a while with my second wife who had cancer, and she's had it, got rid of it. She's not had any problems for over 20 years. Uh, But it was that period of time, it was like six months, and I'd never done it before. And within four months, I was exhausted. I needed a break, you know. Um, so this is something that really wears on people. But it also wears on the individual who has these conditions. Now, is it true that there isn't just a, a mental decline? There's actually a physical cellular decline? Is that what we're experiencing also? And that is that one of the reasons why a lot of people they will succumb to these conditions and pass on? Is that is that a right. fair assessment? Right. So, you know, the, the brain is uh, losing its ability to communicate with itself in, internally. And um, so, so that's why you're losing, you know, memory pieces. And eventually uh, it sort of all comes undone. Now, how does one know... 
how does one detect um, if if they they have it have the this condition? I'm not even again. I'm trying to come up with an umbrella to put over the top of this um, because I knew when I had. Well, I didn't really know that that's what it was, but I knew that I had um, a gallbladder problem, an infected gallbladder with a, a gallstone. I didn't know what that was, what it was, uh, other than I felt this pain, and my wife, she said, ah, go to ER, boom, and I did. Golf, sauce, golf ball size gallstone and a very infected gallbladder, and they took it out. So, you know, I had symptoms. Are there symptoms? Uh, it's, it's not as cut and dry as, as that, Richard, okay. because it sort of sort of creeps in on, on, on people. And, you know, at the beginning, uh, most people won't even realize that something's going on. Or, or maybe the person themselves will say, you yeah, know, I'm starting to forget some names or, you know, or I start talking around certain things if, I, if I'm missing a word. Um, but, you know, you can chalk it up to you were busy that day or is something more organic going on. So it's much more difficult for someone who's living with you to really see that until it's progressed its way down its course a little bit. And it's really, it's not like you can go and get a definitive diagnosis at some point. It's not like a medical test as well with your level three Alzheimer's. It just doesn't work that way. Mm. Well, uh, I, I would think that somewhere down the road, I, I know that there's probably some way of detecting the potentiality through maybe genetic testing and those kinds of things, uh, or maybe it's hereditary. Is that, is that, and well, again, I know yes, you're not that, a medical that, doctor, but, but no, I mean, go ahead. Yes, you, you can do that, but that's only saying that you have, you might be predisposed for it. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. Correct. Correct. Now, I saw a documentary not too long ago uh, where this guy, he, he, I don't know if, it, I can't remember how the whole thing started. All I know is that he started going into some of these uh, uh, assisted living facilities and he found a way to connect with almost every single patient in there who basically was sitting there comatose. I mean, it was as if they they had left the body, but the body was still functioning. They could get up and walk, but they weren't there. It was music. What they did, what he did was he went to the family and they said, what kind of music do they like? And he would put together an iPod of their favorite music with headphones. He would put them on, play the music, and they would like come to life. You know why that you know why that works? Tell me. Because they're getting to know these people. They're getting to know what makes them tick, what they what their values are, what they what they like. You know, you know, just because someone shows up in an assisted living building when they're 90 years old doesn't mean they're a woman in 23B. They, you know, they've had a life. And so what we try to do, you know, I'm at this communities is to know thy resident. And the extent to which we can know them better, we can help them engage with life and keep that normal pattern going, irrespective of, of where they're living. We're talking with Larry Carlson, and he has a, a, a unique way of, of helping folks in nursing homes, assisted livings through uh, the, the work that he is doing. And we're going to find out more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a great pleasure to have Larry with us here. Larry, I, um, I, I just am, am flabbergasted at, and, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. The way our society, and I'm talking about Western civilization, as it were, here in America treats people who are aging. And I, I was going to put an age on it, but it could start when you're in your 40s and you're starting to have maybe slight diminished capacity. You don't have to wait until you're 60, 70, 80. Uh, and that's, of course, another issue, too, is that people are starting to live longer because maybe they're taking better care. Maybe our technology and our medicine is is uh, uh, more um, easily readable, uh, uh, readily accessible uh, to help people live longer. Um, uh, I mean, my father at the age of 90 had a hernia operation, you know. Uh, there are certain operations they won't do on people who are in their 90s because, you know, they don't expect them to live long, like transplants, those kinds of things, which is really unfortunate. But do you think that that is part of our problem in the West is that we don't care 
for these people. I mean, I don't want my parents to go into a home, even though my parents have made it very clear to all of us siblings, all of us children, that they have already set up plans in motion that if that were necessary, we don't have to worry about oh, that's, that. That's they, really good. Good for them and good yeah. for you, Richard. Yeah. That is not probably a typical scenario in most families. Yeah. Most people are sort of pushing it off for as long as possible until they sort of reach this point of a crisis. And, you know, either they've been trying to take care of someone and they just don't know how to, and, and they're now sacrificing their relationships with their own family or themselves. Um, and uh, this crisis comes and they have to now decide what they're going to do in an immediate moment, as opposed to your family that has really thought ahead and, and planned for this in the eventuality that it needs to happen. So good for you. Yeah. Well, I say good to, good for my parents. And, and I have to tell you, they told us this like, I don't know, 30 years or 40 years ago. I mean, I was in my 20s and they were still doing great. I was actually probably still living at home and maybe it was shortly thereafter. But they said, no, no, we're, we're good. We're, 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 you don't have to be concerned. Um, uh, and, and it's uh, one of those things that, yeah, I wish, you know, people keep asking me. My mother would ask me, so Richard, how's your retirement program going, your retirement plan? I said, what retirement plan? I have no plans on retiring. Um, but again, it's, it, it's a part of the process. So, you know, most most families are sort of caught in a situation where they've uh, had some, maybe the family, the parents have said, don't ever put me in the home. Yeah. Uh, and so now you've got a, a son or a daughter who are, you know, laying uh, guilt against the loyalty of, of, of that uh, pact that they might have made with their parents uh, versus their own ob obligations to their own family or, or, or themselves. And so it, mm. it becomes very um, emotional. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, even in a family, you'll have one sibling who's in denial that anything's going on with dad. And you've got another who's saying, you can't see it. Yeah. It's plain as day. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so they can, you get these interesting or uh, difficult family dynamics going on um, that you have to navigate, as well as, you know, just feeling bad that, you know, your mom and dad who were vital. For their whole life, um, all the things you see them sort of fading away. It's it's uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And yet at the same time, uh, and it can happen slowly or it can happen very quickly, and then they're gone. Um, sadly, I suppose in one sense, as far as human beings are concerned, that's just that's the part process of life. Being alive is that that's that's what's going to happen to all of us. As my father, as my father uh, used to say to me. Um, uh, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. And, um, uh, you know, and I've always, I've always lived by that. I've never, never uh, had a, an addiction to something so terrible. Uh, although some would say, well, yeah, what about your soda addiction? I says, yeah, well, I kicked that a year and a half ago and haven't had one since and wow. haven't wanted one. Matter of fact, I've even considered the possibility of getting, you know, one of those little small, short little cans of soda and seeing just how sweet it was. I had some candy not too long ago and I'm going, whoa, this is way too sweet, you know. So uh, hopefully I've sort of grown out of that. Uh, UMcommunities.org is the website. It's also the place where you can find out about uh, Larry and the book that he has written that he's put together to the Enclave. A Journey to a New Mode of Dementia Care. Now, first of all, I think we need to go back in history a little bit. What was the old mode, or have we already kind of covered that, in that we put them in a home and we forget about them? Well, let's hope we did something a little bit more, a little, little better than just putting them in a home and leaving them. Yeah. You know, I would, I, I, first of all, I want to say there are a lot of people in this industry who are totally dedicated and committed to making life better for people who have dementia and have been for the 40 years that I've been in, in this business. But this, you know, the standard of practice 30 years ago was just a lot different than it is now. And, and uh, you know, a lot of what, a lot of times what was happening back then is uh, the philosophy was we have to protect these people from themselves and protect these people from each other and uh, from their family. And so how do we do that? Well, uh, if they have some behaviors going on, we treat the behaviors and we do that by, well, we did that by tying them up, putting them in a jerry chair, 
um, giving them uh, chemical restraints, psychotropic medications. Um, and it was not good. And, uh, you know, what we've talked about over the years at United Methodist Communities is there's got to be a better way. Now, a lot of there was a, a big pushback in the early 90s to get rid of the restraints. And then that was uh, very successful. And the entire industry on a number of levels was able to do that, as well as to reduce the, the number of um, psychotropic medications that uh, people are, are on. But at the end of the day, we're only treating behaviors. And what we've found at United Methodist Communities is we want to treat the distress that might manifest itself as a behavior. So if we can eliminate the distress, the behavior won't manifest. And I think that has really sort of been the secret sauce at the United Methodist Communities. You know, um, my my wife's uh, aunt uh, was um, in the hospital. Actually, she was in a home, and um, uh, and she um, was not all there, as it were. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but nonetheless, she would um, <clears throat> she would uh, uh, refer to me. Uh, she she started talking to me. And um, who are you? She says, and I said, um, and and I had learned earlier on that when you are speaking with somebody who forgets, who doesn't remember, whatever the terminology is, you go with it. You do not try to correct them. You meet them where they're at. You meet them where they're at. So she thought I was one of the doctors. So I played the role of a doctor. And that I was making my rounds and I was just checking in on her and that kind of thing. And the conversation was beautiful. And uh, I, 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 I actually yeah, felt... Yeah, so the thing is, do you want them to be happy or, or correct? Yeah, exactly. I would rather have them be happy. Of course. Yeah. And I see so many times, not only in movies and television programs, but sometimes in real life, where the siblings... Uh, Dad, it's me. It's me, Dad. Your son, Richard. Uh, you, you know, who, who are you? And I, now, my dad is not like this. I'm just using it as an mm -hmm. example. Yeah. I'll be whoever he wants me to be so that I can have a conversation with him. Now, I want to dive in here to the method that you have discovered, that you have uh, 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 taken from a place, uh, as I was reading, somewhere in the Netherlands. And we're going to do yeah. that as we continue here. We're talking with Larry Carlson. We are talking about the work that he is doing through United Methodist Communities. UM for United Methodist Communities.org. That's UMCommunities.org. And we are talking with Larry Carlson here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And it's great to have Larry here with us talking about this because... When, uh, Larry, I uh, don't know how much you know about uh, this radio program, this podcast, videocast, uh, and the goal that we have set up, and that is to find those new ways of living, because the old ways don't work. And we focus more along the spiritual, metaphysical realms, if you will. Well, this conversation we're having affects not just us uh, as a society mentally, emotionally, physically, but also spiritually. And we struggle with this kind of stuff. And uh, it's just really a challenge, if you will, to, to get through day-to-day -day life, uh, sometimes even when you're not dealing with people who uh, are, are somewhere else. Uh, I've even heard it said, Larry, that uh, the people who have, for example, who are on the spectrum, and I have to wonder if this isn't part of that same spectrum, like autism, you know, and so forth, Down syndrome, they're in this moment right now where you and I are, okay? They're not in the past and they're not in the future. They're right now. And that's why we have trouble communicating with them because we're in the past or the future. You know, we're, we're projecting forward. We're, you know, like when we're having this conversation, uh, you and I, whether we like it or not, you're sitting there thinking, okay, how am I going to respond to Richard now and what he's putting forth? And then I'm going to do the same thing as you're chatting away and sharing your perspectives. Um, is that a fair assessment that uh, from the, the, the person's perspective who is in this state, they're literally in the now, even though we don't know where that now is or when that now is? 
And they can't communicate what they're feeling yeah. many times, which is, gets back to why we're treating distresses. Because if, if, if somebody is, is acting out, shall we say, there's a reason, usually a reason why that's driving that. So if yeah. we just treat the behavior, we're masking. But if we, if we know our residents well enough to understand what their history has been, what their likes and dislikes are, uh, maybe what, how they used to, you know, what their daily pleasures are, and we can continue that, and we can sort of alleviate that, then many times the behaviors go away. And I, I'll give you a, a quick story. So I had a, a resident in one of my buildings, and he uh, was what they call sund sundowning. It means every night after supper, uh, he was sort of getting agitated. And uh, the staff sat down and uh, knew him well enough, and they said, you know, when, before he retired, he was a hotel clerk. And the last thing he did before the end of the day was to go around and check all the doors, make sure the shades are down, make sure the windows are locked, and then he would go on his way. And so they said, let's take the guy around and uh, sort of do that after dinner every night. Guess what happened, Richard? He stopped getting agitated after dinner. Simple as that. Now, you say it's, it's very simple, but if they didn't know him well enough, they wouldn't have been able to figure that out. So part of this method, this new method, uh, is to get to know the people you're caring for. Absolutely. Now, that also means that you have to communicate with the relatives, mm -hmm. uh, if there are relatives remaining, depending upon the age of the individual and so forth. So, so you know, our staff does a very rich assessment with the, the resident and their family to try to get to know, you know, what their normal routine is like and, and what, what they like. And, you know, are they music lovers? Are they art lovers? Do they like to read or, you know, whatever it might be? And uh, so we try to uh, then engage in those kinds of things, just like your friend who came in with the music, because music is, is a great uh, uh, communicator between all kinds of people, irrespective of language you know, yeah. around, the, around the world. We're, we're all joined by music at a certain level. What was so astounding in that documentary was the fact that at one point, one woman who, again, had just been laying there with her mouth open, kind of gazing off into space, she got up and she started to dance and then dance with this gentleman, dance with her relatives, you know, who were there visiting her. Mm -hmm. And the relatives were in tears. They couldn't believe it. They were just overjoyed that she was now moving about. And obviously, when you're in a situation in a state like that and you sit for too long, you know, things start to, um, what's the word? I can't think of the word. Um, uh, uh, your muscles atrophy. That's the word. They start to atrophy. And then you have even more trouble getting up and moving around. And so this was giving them some the, the needed physical activity to keep them mobile. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating. I even have a friend here in Santa Barbara. She's a musician. She's a, a facilitator. She's a teacher. She's a life coach and so forth. And she takes this group of people that she refers to as her band, and they go to the local nursing homes and uh, assisted living facilities, and they will uh, set up appointments to where they'll schedule a concert in the in the main hall, if you will, and the people love it. I mean, and and I'll be I'm sure she would be honest in this. She's not she's not a Grammy winning artist, but she doesn't have to be. She has a love for the music. And she has a love for sharing it with people. And uh, she does have a beautiful voice. Don't get me wrong. But I, I'm not. I mean, I sing too, but I don't have <laughs> a Grammy Award winning uh, music, song, a voice, or what have you. Oh, but, I just sing in the shower, Richard. There you go. Okay, there you go. But see, that's the whole thing is we find a way to communicate. It seems as though even in, in many other sectors of our society, aside from what we're talking about here, we're not getting to know one another. We're just, we're, we're, we're isolating, we're separating, we're tribalizing, and all of these kinds of things. And, and we're just constantly dividing and subdividing and then subdividing again into all of these different groups. And we're losing our, our sense of community. And that's really what you're talking about at United Methodist Communities, umcommunities.org is reestablishing community. Talk Absolutely. to us about how you found out about this particular method. When were you introduced to it, or how did you come to it? Was it intuitive? Was it literally this uh, facility in the Netherlands? Uh, did you share with that? Well, I mean, it, 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 yes, it all, all comes together. I mean, 
as I said, there's been a push in the industry to sort of move toward a more person directed care, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming out of the nineties after we got rid of the restraints and get to know people better. And, you know, we serve them as opposed to, you know, them coming into the building and fitting in with the rhythm of the institution. Um, but what we realized that, uh, you know, there are uh, 50 million people worldwide have dementia. Um, and dementia is the sixth leading cause of death globally. And age is the biggest risk factor. And so as an aging uh, services provider, I mean, from a strategic planning point of view, uh, this sort of fell in our lap saying, you know, we need to be doing something about this um, as a not-for-profit faith-based organization, uh, knowing these, these are the kinds of people we're gonna be serving in the future. So um, we decided to sort of zero in on, on this whole paradigm and, and sort of up, up our own game to become you know, better at this. And when, when I visited uh, the Hoikave uh, project in Amsterdam in 2017, it was really uh, inspiring to me because they had really taken it to the next level. Uh, and by that, I mean, they started talking about normalizing life for people who have dementia. Hmm. And how do you do that? You know, right now, most uh, dementia memory support units probably have 20, 30, sometimes 40 people living on them. Well, who, who lives in a family of 40 people? Like nobody. Um, and so in, in Hoikave, they had uh, houses of six. And so you're living with six other people, more of a family scale, and everything was done as, as a family. And uh, you'd go to the grocery store in the morning and pick up the food you need for the day and come back and you would uh, just, you know, somebody would help set the table and um, someone would be reading the paper. I mean, just like it would be normal. It was not an institution. And so for me, I said, you know, we need to take what we've learned here in the United States and, and how we're doing with our, our own um, programmatic, pro- programmatic things for our dementia and say, you know, how do we provide an a environment where the two get married together? And because I think it's the wave of the future. I think this is the way it's going to be. Nobody wants to live with 25 strangers. But if, if we can group people in, in our in smaller houses, you know, we're going to have seven people in a house at the Enclave. Uh, and maybe there's going to be a music house. Maybe there's going to be an art house. And now you're living with people who also like music. Um, those kind of relationships are easier to, to uh, live with. And it's going to minimize the distress. So it all comes back to the distress, Richard, of minimizing the distress. And there's stress on all sides. All sides. There's no question about it. Um we're talking with Larry Carlson. Uh, we're also talking about the work that he is doing through the organization, uh, which is United Methodist Communities. I want to talk a little bit about that as we continue. The website is umcommunities.org, umcommunities.org. And the book is entitled <clears throat> To the Enclave. Uh, it's a journey to a new mode of dementia care here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure to have you with us here to discuss uh, these things, and we hope that uh, you will do that. Um, uh, go to his website. Go to the website, umcommunities.org. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, uh, the expansion of this, because uh, the word crisis has been used. Uh, w- w- would we put it at the level of an epidemic, a pandemic, uh, something to be really concerned about. And the population is growing globally. We're close to 8 billion. But, um, but our U.S. population seems like it's, you know, it's been at 350 million on, a, on the average for a long, long time, as long as I can remember. So I'm wondering, you started working in this field 40 years ago. Has the population increased as far as folks who are now dealing with this? Because yeah, absolutely, and yeah. and guess what, Richard? By twenty fifty, the number of new cases per year is going to double. Wow! Now double. How about the double. age range? What about the age range? Well, as I mean, you know, forty as years I said, ago to age, today, age is the is the greatest risk factor. So you know, hundred years ago, when people are living to sixty five and 70, 75, you know, there wasn't as much much of it around, but um, you know, the fact that uh, we're all living longer, which is a good thing, um, 
as long as there's quality of life to go along with it, uh, you know, we this particular uh, disease is, is going to come along with it because, as I said, age is the biggest risk factor. Is it happening earlier here in the 21st century than later into the 70s and 80s? I mean, in terms of it, as is it happening to younger folks in their 60s and their 50s? Well, I mean, there, there always have been people who have, uh, you know, early, early uh, Alzheimer's in their late 50s and 60s. I don't know if, if there's any more frequency uh, other than a, a function of the general population. Well, it's it seems to me that uh, life uh, and I'm, I don't know how much research has been done from your perspective, from UM community's perspective in terms of uh, our lifestyle, our environment, in, in terms of trying to find the causes. I mean, that's kind of what what we try to do here. We don't want to just address the symptoms. And in a manner of speaking, that's what you're addressing, but you're doing it in such a way that returns a certain level of quality of life for these folks. Right. I mean, we're trying to give our residents a quality of life and, and, and dignity as they uh, navigate through this uh, terrible disease and, and the families as, as well. Okay. So what kind of support do you give to, uh, uh, to the families of, of these folks? And let me ask you, first of all, how do we refer to the folks who are in these, in these facilities, uh, patients, clients, uh, uh, residents, residents. Okay. Residents. I like that so much better. Yep, yep. So how do you, how do you uh, balance all of that so that you, again, you're reducing the stress for the resident, mm -hmm. but you're also reducing the stress for the relatives, the siblings, the, the, the husbands, the wives, etc. Well, you have to realize that, you know, the primary caregiver has probably been, uh, not really understanding what these what the distresses are. And so they're dealing with these behaviors at home and it is, it's very stressful. So they're trying to live their own life, take care of them. They don't know what they're dealing with. It's a very high stress thing. So one of the things that we can do is uh, come alongside them and, and try to figure out um, what is driving, driving the distress. And one of the things that the Enclave is, is gonna be our center of excellence where somebody could bring in a, uh, a loved one who's maybe an early stage Alzheimer's and we could uh, do some assessment with them, try to figure out what are the distresses in their life. And then we could do some training with that family caregiver and send them home, hopefully with a sort of a toolkit of uh, strategic uh, things that are going to help them cope better and have their uh, loved one more comfortable. Because, you know, what, what I, you know, my sister-in-law dealt, dealt with this with uh, my brother-in-law uh, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, she was beside herself. She just didn't know what to do. And, you know, there's a good reason why the most popular book on this is the 36 hour day, because people who are taking care of someone 24 seven feel like they have to be on, on call 36 hours a day. Yeah. Because they're not quite sure what they're going to do. And so I, you know, I know when I talked to my sister-in-law, um, she just wanted some help as to what was, what could she do that was right. That was going to make him feel better. And, uh, she could, you know, feel like she had some sanity in her, in her life. Yeah. I, I've often wanted to ask my parents this question. My father is 90. My mother is 87. I've already described their, their present condition, uh, which is, again, still vibrant and so forth, uh, aside from my father's physical uh, situation. And the question that I've never asked them, I've, I've actually been afraid to ask the question because... Um, I'm afraid of, of the, uh, of the repercussions that may come back. Um, what is it that you get up in the morning for? I mean, why, why do you get out of bed every morning? What is it that you're living for? It's not that I want them to go, but God forbid, I don't want them. I, it's like, I've wanted to say to my dad, you know, you can leave, you can go anytime you want. You don't have to stay if you don't want to stay. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion, I think. Uh, that we might have a little later on in the program, but I've often wondered that. It was, I was like, well, okay, well, why, 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 why do they get up and get out of bed and move about and do what they do? You know, with, whereas, for example, I get up in the morning because I love coming to work to do the things that I do, interviewing folks such as yourself to try to tackle some of these really 
really hard subjects and questions. Um, and again, I just put it out there because I know that's got to be in the back of the minds of the relatives, um, I, maybe not so much the residents, but also the facilitators, you, you in particular with United Methodist Communities and others across the country and around the world, uh, as to providing or having a purpose in life at that point. And now, I'll let you know, too, that we talk about choices and knowledge of those choices to help make, people's, help make, help <laughs> make people's dreams come true. And so I, I put this out there in terms of that kind of concept. What, what dreams are still there that we could help them with, that we could give them that day-to-day, -day, again, if you want to use the term quality of life. Do you, you kind of see where I'm going with this? I don't want to ramble any further. Well, no, but, I mean, you know, Richard, really comes back to the whole know thy residence mm -hmm. uh, and, and allow them to engage in the things that brought meaning to them uh, when they were younger, and there's no reason why they can't continue having those kinds of meaningful engagements, uh, even even with uh, dealing with the disease. Uh, and I think that's why the whole small house concept, normalizing life, having a daily routine, knowing what somebody's daily pleasure is, I and mean, like cup of coffee at six o'clock in the morning, we're gonna make sure you get a cup of coffee at six o'clock in the morning. If you want to sleep in at ten o'clock, you're gonna sleep in until ten o'clock. You know, in the old days. When somebody moved in, they had to adjust their rhythm of life to the rhythm of the institution. You know, we've turned that upside down. It's our job as the institution to adjust the rhythm of the institution to the rhythm of that person's life. Now, easier said than done because, you know, there are, you know, there's only one of us and it could be, what, 40 or 100 people living. So um, it, it's, it's challenging, but that's, that's our job. And so that's what that's that's our task every morning is to figure that out for them and what's going to bring meaning to that person and allow the family to have that uh, special time with them so they can engage with that person and not have saying, oh, you know, mom is or dad is acting out again. And, you know, what, what are we going to do about it? I mean, it's it's on the one hand, not an easy conversation to have, but it seems to me and I've heard this many times, it's a conversation we need to dog on it. We need to have. We need to talk about these things because we're all going there, you know. Um, I congratulate you on your uh, relationship and your marriage with your wife, Melanie, of 47-plus. Uh, uh, that's fantastic. Um, I, I've had uh, 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 the first one was 15 years, and I'm in the second one, which is now going on, um, what is it, 19, 19 years now. Uh, but we've been together for 23 and, and, and Richard, this is in spite of the fact that when we've been married one year, we moved into a nursing home together. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. But before we... <laughs> that was my first job and yeah. the requirement was I had to live in. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. That's definitely a subject, but I want to let you folks listen, listening and watching know that you are watching and listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Uh, we're here to give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Larry, uh, to that end, I've always believed this, and especially with this program that's in its, uh, going into its, uh, we're into, uh, already into our 14th year. Um, everybody has choices. I don't care what their circumstances are. They always have choices. You could be in prison, you still have choices. Just take a look at Nelson Mandela. That's always my example. Um the folks who are dealing with this condition personally, and they are in assisted living facilities, they are residents, they have choices, but they may not know, be aware of, cognizant of those choices, which is where you folks come in because you get to know them like that one story you told. Um, you have choices, you know, and so forth. And I'm curious as to, uh, how and or why you chose within that first year of marriage to live in, in a nursing home. Well, I mean, I, I was, you know, just breaking into the industry. I just received my, I, I wanted to go down a path of healthcare and I just received my nursing home administrator's license and I'm looking for my first job. And uh, I 
very grateful that uh, there was a treasurer of uh, this, this community in on north side of Boston who said, we're going to give this 23-year-old kid a chance to, to do it, uh, but you have to move in. You know, like, well, if that's, if, you know, I was just like, well, that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. And uh, so it was, you know, it was actually sort of fortuitous because, you know, here I was only 23 and, and I was in charge of this, the entire place, uh, all, all the disciplines, as small as it was. Um, and it was a great experience for us. You know, I have uh, spent time around a group of people uh, in my early days in this business uh, who were of similar condition. I was legally blind until I was 38. So I started in this business when I was 19. And I was around blind and visually impaired people for a long time. And I found out that there are some who are bitter. (laughs) There are some who are having a great life. Uh, they're very mobile. They're very active. They're doing having a lot of fun. Um, you and I, I'm 61, all right? And <clears throat> I have been in this business for over 40 years, starting out with a radio reading service for the blind and visually impaired. My first wife was totally blind, all right? So from the standpoint of associating with folks who are similarly conditioned, <laughs> to put it to put it that way, I have a plan, Larry. I don't know about you, but I have a plan that I am going to live to be 100. I have to outlive my great-grandmother, who lived to be 100. I remember when she was 95, we were at her 95th birthday, and I said this to people. And I said, but she's making it really hard. But I wasn't that I wanted her to go, okay, not by no means. Uh, and I'm not even sure why I took on that, that mantle, if you will, saying I want to live that long. Uh, but I have another lifetime ahead of me. Yeah. I want to be doing this into my 70s, in my 80s, in my 90s, and I'm heading in that direction just as you are. Mm-hmm. Good for you. So you're now associating and have been for, again, over 40 years with folks that you are going to be sharing uh, that mm-hmm. chronological space yeah, with. I know. I, I, look, at I was the boy administrator at, at age 23 and I was everybody's great grandson. <laughs> that felt now, pretty good you know, though, didn't it? Now, now I'm, I'm their compadre, right? Yeah. Now that felt pretty good though, didn't it? At 23? Of course it, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and I used to be called the baby in the group because I was in my twenties and now every group I was associated with, everybody was older than me. So I know that mm-hmm. feeling uh, as you yep. share that, but we're all heading in that direction, Larry. Um, is there anything that we as individuals can do anything that I can do <clears throat> to prepare myself for reaching that chronological area. Hopefully uh, I can, as I did, I went through a past life regression uh, hypnosis therapy session where in my previous life I was a pioneer and I was out in the, I had a farm had a few, you you know, like a cow and chickens and what have you in a, a field of I don't know what. And I remember <clears throat> walking out on the porch of my cabin in the mountain after I'd lost my farm, sat down in the chair, put my feet up on the rail, <clears throat> tipped my head, hat back. Ah, it's been a good life. And I left. I just I died. Mm. It was that peaceful. And I want to do the same thing in this lifetime. But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee how we're going to go out. Is there anything that we can do um, that you maybe have done to sort of make peace with that inevitability down the road? Or maybe as my parents have done for us, they've told us, hey, do not worry about us. We've got everything planned out. And I don't know what those plans are, to be honest with you, Uh, that we can, you know, we can sort of at least meet that event halfway Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, is there anything that you've come with? Well, I, mean, I, I, I think that, you know, the, the foundational things that we all need to do are, you know, physical exercise and, and, and brain exercise, uh, and, you know, keep our minds active and our bodies moving. I think the worst thing we can do is, is stop because that's when you do. Right? Hmm. Okay. 
Well, I know that uh, I've always loved uh, brain teasers of sorts. I remember a book I bought many years ago. I think I still have it, too. Had these two puzzles. And the first one was a series of letters. It said, find the pattern. I love looking for patterns, especially in numbers, colors as well, and so forth. So I looked through it, and it was like um, one, six, seven, uh, nine, uh, let's see, four, uh, and two. Find the pattern. And I first I shot, a, I looked at it, I looked at it, I looked at it, and I found it right away. And it was that the, fir, the odd-numbered positions where the numbers were, were all straight-line numbers. The even-positioned numbers were all curves, or had curves in them. Went on to the second puzzle, and it's, it had letters. And uh, it laid them out, you know, um, C... I, J, L, and so forth. And I sat there going, okay, what is the solution? I, and I spent 10 minutes trying to figure it out. It was the same solution as the previous puzzle. Mm. Curved versus straight lines. Yep, yep. But I love that kind of stuff. So, you know, my dad, you're talking about your dad. My dad's going to be 96 next week. Wow. And um, he loves to do Sudoku. He does, and he's a lot better at it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but then that, he's he's done that for years. But yeah. I, I still think that's, um, and he's sharp as a tack. Yeah. So what are you, I know you like to go fishing. I've only been fishing a couple of times. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, and I wasn't concerned with catching anything. And I still remember uh, the host of a fishing show here in Santa Barbara who used to say, Richard, that's the reason why they call it fishing and not catching. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 Actually, I'm going to Panama to go fishing uh, next month. Oh, wow. I'm really excited about that. What yeah. are you, what are you looking to catch? Uh, big billfish. Ooh. Wow. Have you ever gone after like the big ones, like the Marlin? Yeah. That's what I mean. Marlin. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So oh. that's, uh, you know, it's all catch and release, so, but it's, so it, it is, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed. Yeah. I think that uh, it's really strange that my hobby is actually my vocation. I mean, yeah, I, I love uh, spending time with my wife. I love uh, being out in nature, you know, being especially living here in Santa Barbara, being out on the water. My favorite place to be is not just on the beach, but out floating on the water, oh, okay. yeah. uh, preferably in a vessel of some sort. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, I'm on the opposite coast. We're on the, in, in, on the New Jersey shore here, and mm -hmm. uh, I take my Jeep out on the beach. Uh, fortunately, we, we have a beach here that we can actually drive on. It's the last uh, undeveloped barrier island in the North Atlantic. Oh, wow. And I'll drive five miles down the beach and park my Jeep and have my lunch and go surf casting, and it's a great way to spend the day. Yeah. I'm 20 minutes walking from the beach. I lived in Phoenix, born and raised there. Take me 20 days <laughs> to get to the beach because I don't think California's dropping off into the ocean as much as we in Arizona were hoping. Uh, but, um, but uh, you thought you were going to have, you thought you were going to have oceanfront property. We, we were really hoping, but you know, now my brother and I live here and it's like, okay, we don't want that now. <laughs> right. uh, either that, or I got to make sure that I have my swim fins on. Um, this is fascinating conversation, and I know, too, that there were a lot of folks here in Santa Barbara, a lot of folks in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and what I find extraordinary, even though I know there are assisted living facilities here, residents who are there, uh, there are still a lot of folks in, those, in that age range. Boy, they're still doing some great stuff. There are people going after their PhDs in their 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're artists, painters, sculptors, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some folks just get out and they, they take a walk along the beach uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, but this whole process of, of the, the Alzheimer's slash dementia, and, and I guess, uh, let me ask you, I mean, you may have mentioned this at the front end of the program, what would be the umbrella term that we want to use for, for all of this? Is there one? Uh, I'm sorry? Well, dementia. Yeah, dementia. dementia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those things where um, I've heard fish is supposed to be brain food. You know, 
uh, and so forth. I've heard also that uh, too much alcohol destroys brain cells until I, I saw another report that uh, of, of recent days actually said that's not true because you're constantly regenerating brain cells and other mm-hmm. cells in the body. I mean, we have a new body every seven years, right? So that's what they say, yeah, that's what they say. Mine uh, doesn't look like it, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's on the horizon as far as this process in terms of uh, the United Methodist Community's uh, plan? And you have uh, what hundreds of facilities across the country? Um, no, in New Jersey, we have nine. Nine, okay. But do you connect with any of the other facilities across the country in sure, terms so of Sure, so we're part of a, a group called the United Methodist Association, mm-hmm. and in that case, there are hundreds across okay. the country. That's where I got that number. Okay. Yes. Yep. And is there is there a great receptivity or pushback from some some facilities and their residents and, and, and what have you? No, no, no. We know what we're doing here. We don't need to get to know these people. We'll just, we'll just feed them kind of like my dogs and cats. I'll put the food down. They've got food. I'll let them out to go potty and bring them back in. And we'll just, you know, that's all we need to do. Well, I, I don't want to be, there are a lot of good people in this, in, in this industry and a lot, a lot of great places to, to live across the country. I just think we've just decided to take it to the next level and try to become a prototype for what I think is going to be how we serve dementia residents in the, for the next generation, just as, uh, you know, people did 30, 40 years ago when they uh, were doing whatever they were doing. So and with this new method, how, ha- how is the burnout level? Is this, is it decreased now that you don't have the same, you don't have the stressor like you used to as a facilitator, okay, as a, 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 a as a caregiver in the facility yep. to the residents. Yep. 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 Our, our, the turnover rate in our memory support residences within our continu- continuing care retirement communities uh, is probably the lowest of any other place in the company. People love to work there. Why? Because it's a normal environment. Even, even though, you know, they're doing dishes and cooking meals and, and you know, as well as taking care of, you know, we, we've got rid of all the, the, ice, the uh, silos uh, that typically are found uh, in, an, in an institution and it becomes much more of a family setting and it's a much more relaxed environment. And our caregivers just love it. They wouldn't work anyplace else. You know, that's beautiful. It really is. Um, I don't have the room presently where I live to take my parents in, plus the fact that they live in Arizona and Phoenix and I'm here in California, so it wouldn't really be practical. I've got uh, four sisters who live in Phoenix uh, and they're there to support them, and they, they're there. And I give them a call every so often, my parents, that is. I call them, you know, every week or so, sometimes a little more often, just to see how they're doing and kind of catch them up on <laughs> my, my their, their son's foibles as he moves through his life. And they'll give me a little advice or what have you if I ask for it. That's one of the other things about my parents. They've never, if you will, stuck their nose into my situations. my They didn't in my divorce. Uh, it was only after the fact that I started hearing, oh, yeah, well, we knew, blah, 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 blah. Said, well, why didn't you say something? Because we don't stick our nose where we haven't been asked to. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I have to say that that the what you have found, and I, the word community, that is absolutely key, especially in the name, United Methodist Communities. And you, umcommunities.org. Uh, you have definitely, I think, found uh, the key, if you will, uh, to um, caring for the folks that have cared for us as we were coming into this world, as we've been brought into this world. You know, Rich, we spent a year trying to figure out what our mission was going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we talked to a, a lot of individuals and we had some focus groups and it really came down to that we are compassionately serving in community yeah. so that all can have abundant life. Let me remind you, folks, uh, Larry uh, Carlson is my guest, and um, he is uh, connected with, he's a part of, you are the CEO of United Damn. Methodist Communities, uh, UM 
Communities.org is the website. And uh, the book, now, is this uh, a series of stories? Is this a step-by-step support, uh, help for folks uh, so to the Enclave? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, a, it's a resource book for people who might be navigating this uh, situation uh, themselves personally. And so uh, we have a, a number of cases that we're sort of following through uh, the book of, of people who are, uh, you know, dealing with this in, in certain situations. And we try to then uh, try, try to lay out information about the industry and about the options and about how it works and maybe what does, is not working so well. And then, then we sort of move into the whole enclave uh, paradigm and as to, uh, you know, why we think this uh, way is a, is a better way. Hmm. Well, you know, it has, it has been said uh, that it takes a village. Of course, it was referencing uh, raising children. Well, it still takes a village to take care of the other end of life as well, those folks who are at the other end uh, of life, because they're still alive. They're still living. And I, I honestly believe that that what you have done is, is uh, restored uh, faith in humanity uh, by saying, hey, you know, these folks— they deserve a quality of life. And I got to tell you that if, if based upon what I've experienced in my lifetime in terms of the lack of quality when I was sick or ill or injured or what have you, I don't want to be here. You know, it's just, you know, I mean, it's only rare occasions where I've felt so sick, so ill that it's like they say death warmed over, which is kind of an oxymoron because it's cold. <laughs> but there have been times it's like, I just want to die. I want out. I let me out of this body you know give me give me another body put my consciousness somewhere else um but it's it's fantastic what you folks are doing and we applaud you uh and we encourage folks to get in touch with you and uh to find out more about you united methodist communities umcommunities.org as we continue here on tell me your story i'm richard dugan your host and we're talking with larry carlson larry i have Three final questions I like to ask my guests, uh, and you may have addressed them to some degree during the program, and actually, uh, you might actually answer one of the questions in one of the other answers. Me, that as it may, I'll ask those questions in just a moment, but I want to let you, the listener and the viewer, know uh, that you're listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Mondays at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, that's at 9 a.m. Pacific time across the board. We stream those programs live. Uh, at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations on the Internet uh, where you can find us. You can also watch these interviews on YouTube by going to the channel Tell Me Your Story. Just look for the guy with the black hat. And uh, we hope that you will subscribe to the podcast and the video cast. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, we would greatly appreciate that. PayPal is there for your security as well as ours. And when you go to PayPal to support us financially, they're going to ask you for an email address. And that email address is Richard at richarddugan.com. That's Richard at richarddugan.com. And we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, heartfelt gratitude for the support that you have given and that you will give in the future as well. And we also ask that you take time to go within during the decade of perfect vision. It's the perfect vision that you will find when you go within and you listen to that still small voice and uh, follow the promptings, get the inspiration, the encouragement, uh, the direction for your life from Literally minute to minute, hour to hour, and day to day. That's an area we probably could have dove into as well, although I did ask you about uh, how your intuition may have guided you down this path, and and, uh, you did uh, discuss that a little bit. And with all of that being said, Larry, uh, we have the three final questions in our lightning round at the end of our game show called Tell Me Your Story. And the first of those three questions is, who is Larry Carlson? He's a person who loves his family and uh, loves his life. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I hope that um, something that I've been doing will impact others, um, either specifically within the company I'm currently working with or um, allowing that knowledge to be shared 
across the board with others so that uh, it can, uh, its impact can be uh, manifested in a broader capacity. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Wow. <laughs> uh, to know and love God. Well, Larry uh, Carlson, thank you again for joining us on the program. Thank you. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.